What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We are down to the final four. Let's bring in Commissioner Mark Tatum to seal this man's fate up here. The fourth pick in the 2019 NBA Draft goes to the Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where forever young, I want to be forever young. Do you really want to live forever and ever? Forever young, I want to be forever young. Tommy, guess what? The Lakers jumped from number 11 to what number do you think they jumped into three four and i said forever young because that means we're potentially going to get another young player i mean x plus y equals a (laughs) (laughs) i thought we were gonna get nick young dude Hey, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where we're already off the rails, but for good reason. And we're kind of rusty at this. And by this, I'm talking about the NBA lottery. It's been a year gap from when we were last there. And uh, yeah, personally for me, I had forgotten how lit it could be. And uh, I guess we could start there, Tommy. And also disclaimer, Tommy is not feeling too well tonight, so we'll try to keep it short. And also his voice is a little sore. 
not because he was screaming at the chance of potentially getting Zion or even just jumping in, but because he's legit sick. So we'll try to keep that in mind and also bear that in mind as you listen to him, listen to his croaky ass voice. But with that said, Tommy, how are you feeling about today? I know for me on Twitter, given the surrounding drama of this front office and oh by the way we have a new coach his name's Frank Vogel and Jason Kidd's his assistant coach I'm not sure how far we'll delve into that tonight because I kind of want to keep it draft centric and lottery focused and if you haven't heard again the Lakers have jumped into the number four spot in the lottery Um, number one the number one pick goes to the New Orleans Pelicans number two goes to the Memphis Grizzlies number three who the hell got number three Um, the New York Knicks, and then number four, the Los Angeles Lakers. So for me today, I was a little more subdued with regards to the buildup and the hype for this lottery. A number of factors led to my feelings being a bit dampened than usual. Number one is probably the fact that it's been a year gap since we were in the lottery, so there is that rusty factor to it. Number two... This year, there's not the same amount of stakes that we've had the last few times we've been in the lottery in terms of there's no chance that we were going to lose our pick. So that already took away some of the drama. Uh, We were either going to stay at number 11, maybe bump down a spot or two, or jump into the top four. We were not clinging to the edge of our seats like we were in 2015, 2016, just to keep our pick. And then number three, like I said, I think just the front office turmoil up top, just the botched negotiations with Tyron Liu, the Lakers quote-unquote settling for Frank Vogel and then forcing Jason Kidd onto Frank Vogel and the rest of the Lakers fans in public, all that surrounding drama kind of dampened my mood for this lottery. And then all that changed about one minute before the telecast started and then started to get hyped again once... uh, Was it Tatum who did the announcements? Yeah, Tatum started listing out the teams. And, you know, I told you guys beforehand, I feel like the Lakers are either going to stay at number 11 and if they jump. At first I said they'll get the number four pick. And then I revised that to the number three pick because I thought it was more poetic to say that Kyle Kuzma finally hit an open three. He didn't end up doing that. And he ended up helping the Lakers jump to number four. And we are still ecstatic by those results. But for you... Obviously, caveat, you are feeling sick, so <laughs> so I guess you already have that going for you. But with regards to the amount of anticipation and hype for this year's lottery, how are you feeling during the lead-up to uh, the telecast today, and then how you feel now just on the flip of a dime, everything changing once again? And as, as we were conversing before we hit record... Every single time the Lakers have been in the lottery during this rebuild in the last, I believe four years they've either stayed in their initial spot or jumped a few spots and this year obviously because of the renewed lottery odds they jumped the most spots that they ever have before jumping plus seven that is the highest number of jumps that any team in this year's lottery made plus seven for the lakers plus six for the memphis grizzlies plus six for the new orleans pelicans so back to my initial question how are you feeling prior to the telecast how are you feeling when the telecast started And then how are you feeling when Kuzma's tan ass (laughs) face uh, (laughs) looked shocked and amazed that the Lakers had him? He looked so tan. He's living in luxury, isn't he? (laughs) He sure is. And so are the Lakers all of a sudden. So yeah, what were your thoughts when all of a sudden 
we uh, we, we didn't hear our name called. Uh, well, I, yeah, I was kind of sick. But even leading up to it, I was just, I mean, I thought there was no chance. Like, look, they shuffled the odds, but not really for, like, teams picking where we were picking. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, they they, like normalized or you know kind of smoothed out the curve for the uh the picks for you know like number one through eight but you know maybe we didn't we didn't have a two per i know we didn't win the number one but maybe we didn't have like a two percent chance of winning the number one under the old odds like we did tonight but maybe it was like you know 1.5 but it didn't change that much for us is my point i i just feel like i underestimated what the variance uh the variance of having an extra lotto selection um, would cause, because they used to only do three and and then they do four. So the whole time, and now they're doing four, the whole time I was expecting nobody after us is going to move. So we're probably, it's going to get to 11 and it's going to be us. I thought like, yeah, some guys might jump, but I thought it would be starting at like eight at the latest. You know, I thought, yeah, there would be more guys fall out of the top three this year than normal. But I, again, I just thought it was going to be teams like the Wizards or Pelicans or like, well, Pelicans did jump, but like those types of teams jumping. Um, and uh, I just wasn't expecting the chaos, the absolute chaos that, that uh, transpired. So I was really excited, obviously, to get into the top four. I mean, Zion is who everybody wanted. Um and who I think would have been just amazing on the, on our team. But um, if you're not going to get Zion, you know, number four is not a bad spot. It opens up so many possibilities and it kind of is vindicating in a way um, around the trade deadline. And, and we'll get into this in more detail, but I just want to bring this up now, but around the trade deadline, the two biggest myths that like the media and other teams and all the like anonymous sources on Twitter were trying to push and NBA Twitter were trying to push were that someone, you know, the Knicks would trade the number one pick in Zion for Anthony Davis. Mm. And number two, the Celtics would come to the ta- end of coming to the table with the best offer. And in the last few days, it's like we've been vindicated on both points because from the trade deadline, there were strong rumors Kyrie was out, you know, and even when his name would come up around the trade deadline, he wasn't committing to be like, I'm staying. And the Celtics were in turmoil and all this stuff. And same thing with the with the pick. We were like, look, the odds are changed significantly. You know, the Knicks might have the best chances to get Anthony Davis, but definitely not the best. And are we sure that any other team would trade, you know, so it's like would trade the number one pick for Anthony Davis. And, and then we get to, you know, the last few days and it's like the lottery happens tonight. So the, you know, Zion being traded for Anthony Davis thing is out of the picture, at least in 2019. Um, and uh, the Celtics, like Kyrie Irving is one foot out the door. He's clearly yep. gone. And you're like, we have a pick, like, it's insane to think, we talk about it in terms of like, oh yeah, it's a seventh spot jump, that's pretty crazy. But when you think of it, it's like, it's almost like we got another asset, because it's like, yep. would you even trade number four for like, number eight and number 11? I mean, we were talking the Hawks have number eight and number 10, and I we would have to think about it yeah. <laughs> to trade down in that scenario. Like, it's almost like you gained, a, like, the difference between jumping from 11 to four is like gaining another lottery pick and it's just so insane um 
that can't be understated. And and I don't know. It's it's a win on so many levels. It's a dude. win on so many levels, and you just don't know like where they're gonna go with it because they could go a number of ways. I mean, they could keep the pick. We'll get into the options. I'll have it more neatly laid out. But to your point, I'm glad that like you said, kind of pegs the Boston Celtics down even more. It was already looking bad for them. You know, Terry Rozier went on whatever ESPN show today and pretty much like bashed the entire organization, the team, the stars on that team. So things were already looking bad for the Celtics, but this was kind of the nail in the coffin of all that. And so, yeah, it's just an awesome feeling for the Lakers to, I mean, they did fall ass backwards again into this, but let's talk about the players, right? The basketball players who, the South Bay Lakers, I think this is like the third or fourth year when the Lakers had an opportunity to be in the tank and garner a better position in the tank. And instead they went on a bit of a win streak, right? Absolutely. Fans were once again, yeah, yeah. The fans were once again up in arms. Why are they trying to win? LeBron just shut it down, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, go ahead. I was thinking the exact same thing when it was all transpiring. The exact same argument happened in Luke's first year, the year before we drafted Lonzo. It was, uh, we had won a couple of games down the stretch and we ended up falling to like the fourth worst record. But we jumped from four to number two and had we stayed at number three, we would have slipped down to four. You know what I mean? And, And it just like, it's been proven time and time again that you just got to play basketball and the basketball gods are watching out for you, dude. Because had we won or, you know, lost two more games because everybody was like so into like the tank stuff, had we lost two more games and ended up with a worse record than Minnesota, we would have, you know, got pushed back in mm-hmm. the, even deeper in the lottery. And instead, we just won the exact right amount of games that it took us to, to jump to number four. So. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, it's it's very poetic. It's poetic that the New Orleans Pelicans got the number one pick. This happened to them. What's the when's the last time it happened to them? When they drafted Anthony Davis. So it it feels like the. I mean, it feels rigged for everybody not named the Knicks, which is which is hilarious. The like the rigged argument you can make in like all the time. Like even sure. in, yeah, I don't know. It's just like it's so easy to think of an angle for every team. It is annoying that they won. But if we won, people would be saying it was rigged too. Definitely. Um, Before we get into the nitty gritty of the different options, I guess, how do you feel coming out of the weekend that we had where there was a lot of uncertainty? Obviously, I I think you'd agree that the Lakers probably don't deserve this. I mean, not that, I mean, who deserves what, right, in the NBA? Um, But are you breathing a sigh of relief? Does this change anything substantially for you? And that answer can bleed into our more concrete segments after this, where we talk about the different options. But after the week and weekend that we had, I guess just how are you feeling about the team and that we've been we've been gifted this asset again? And this is such a pessimistic way of looking at it, but I know some fans are thinking it. And actually, I thought it where I was like, how are we going to F this mother effer up? <laughs> you know, because every time it seems like the Lakers stumble stumble upon fortune, they find a way to screw it up with their very next move. Case in point, LeBron James, let's sign KCP, Lance Stevenson, Michael Beasley. Um, so yeah, how are you feeling right now? I'm feeling pretty good, but yeah, I don't know. I'm cautiously optimistic. It, it Again, it just, it feels 
you can't be disappointed knowing that there are this many options. Now, you know, it's not like we got the number two or number three pick. Like, in this year, it sounds like, at least to a lot of pundits or, like, you know, uh, people who have NBA sources that front offices have kind of settled on a top three. Like, Zion is obviously number one, and then two and three is going to be, like, John Morant and R.J. Barrett in some order. Um, So, you know, maybe we, we don't have as much value at number four that we would at number three, but it's just such a big jump that it's impossible to not feel good about it. Um, yeah. Like, you know, I was, I was alluding to earlier, so many possibilities, you know, at number four, arguably best player available on a lot of people's boards is Darius Garland. He's rep by clutch. That would be hilarious. If we ended up <laughs> with like another clutch guy, if we just keep the pick. Okay. Maybe that we gauge a trade down. Like we were talking about earlier, the Hawks have eight and 10 in this year's draft. And if you've been following us, because for a lot a lot of the season, we thought we were going to be picking in that range. You know, not eight necessarily, but somewhere between eight and 12, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so we have looked at a lot of those guys over the course of the year. And, you know, maybe they decide it's worth just getting two solid, like, role player types and trading down more. And then lastly, you know, maybe they offered for a player. Obviously, if... New Orleans is able to, you know, get Zion and pair him up with like BI and like the number four pick in this year's draft, which could be a scoring guard like Garland. That could be like a very, you know, that team might be better than the team they had this year, to be honest. Yeah. You know what I, mean? I mean, not literally, like, obviously they're all like 18 years old, so it would take them a couple of years, but like that team, you have all these guaranteed contracts, two of them, you are, you have locked up for eight years. BI, you have locked up at least you know, for as long as you want him, because he's going to be a restricted free agent even after his first contract's up. So five years, you know, you're guaranteed a VI at least, uh, you know, five, six. So it's like, that's not a bad position to be in for a rebuild. But even outside of Anthony Davis, you, you have to start thinking about like a lot of different options. So I'll get into those options. But in summary, your sentiment is even with the specter of the front office for you, you're feeling good and you're not thinking about how are they going to screw this up next? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Because, okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. With that said, we're going to take it to the break, uh, hear from our sponsors, and then when we come back, we'll talk about all the different myriad of options the Lakers have to utilize with this pick now, this uh, stroke of good fortune and luck. So we'll catch you guys after the turn. All right. So we're back. Uh, before we get into the options, just wanted to remind everyone to please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us on iTunes because the more you rate and review us, that's how much more sunscreen we'll be giving Kyle Kuzma because boy could use some more screen, not tan, because he's looking mighty, mighty dark. Seems like he's been hanging out at the beach a lot. Good for him. Hopefully he's doing those uh, those drills where he's like running on the sand with a tire tied behind his back or something. I doubt that's happening, but uh, but yeah, boy's been enjoying his vacation and uh, we can't blame him. Can't knock him because he got us the number four pick. So please rate and review us on iTunes so we can give him a little bit more sunscreen lotion. Also, patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast if you want to learn a little bit more about us, but also help us out in any small way financially. With that said, Tommy, and you've been alluding to it here and there with regards to all the Lakers options, um, I posed this question on Twitter before the draft even happened, or sorry, before the lottery even happened. But And we've also talked about this in previous podcasts where... We posed the question, are the Lakers more likely to 
trade the pick at the number 11 spot or if they jump into the top four. And uh, in previous episodes, we said they're more likely to trade it if we jump into the top four because at the number 11 spot, you have to take into account salary cap implications that the Lakers, if they plan to save cap space for a Kyrie, Kemba, Jimmy Butler, or Kawhi Leonard, they can't be taking back more than six or seven million if they trade their pick for, you know, a veteran veteran star player or just a, a, a complimentary role player for that pick. Even if they package along a Kyle Kuzma or Josh Hart, those guys are only making $2 million, so that doesn't really help you salary-wise take back a player who if that player is any good, is probably making more than $10 million. The number 11th pick or a pick in that vicinity was probably not going to put us in contention for an Anthony Davis package or even a Bradley Beal package. So keeping that in mind, I think at the time, that's why we said at number 11, we're probably going to stay there. We're probably going to uh, actually draft someone at that spot. If we trade the pick, we'll trade the pick down the road once we see how the free free agency landscape shakes out. Now that we actually did jump into the top four and landed right at number four, have your sentiments changed, Tommy? And, and, and again, this is before we get into the other options, but do you think that there is a, a higher likelihood that the Lakers trade number four, whether it means to take a stab at an Anthony Davis trade package or trade the number four for a, a burgeoning superstar who's still on his rookie contract or anything like that? So I would say it definitely increases the odds with the caveat that I mean, we've been saying the last like three drafts, I feel like that we were going to trade our pick um, and we haven't. So I, I you know, you, you just never know what because we have no sense, right? It's just fans on the street. Like we have no sense of what the value of this pick is to other teams around the league. And Rob, that's like his job to figure that out. But you want to think that because there's a team that has two lottery picks that could and one of them slipped like three spots, they could potentially be motivated to try to consolidate and move up. You know, this is uh, not a suit, not thought of to be a super deep draft, but a top five pick. And frankly, any draft gives you a decent chance of drafting a future all-star. So, you know, that is going to have its value. And, and, uh, and yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's it's easy to make the argument that it at least somewhat increased the, the chances that we traded. But I'm not yeah. saying necessarily that we do. Yeah, because like you said early on, this just opens up so many options for the Lakers. And a lot of those options involve trades, not necessarily for, say, Anthony Davis, but a trade down or trading for, like I, like I just mentioned, trading for a guy on his rookie contract like, uh, I don't know who's out there, John Collins from the Atlanta Hawks, something like that. With that said, let's attack the New Orleans Pelicans' Anthony Davis angle first, because obviously they've got Zion now. I think it would be in their best interest to trade Anthony Davis even more. I know the sentiment, some people are saying that maybe this decreases the likelihood that they even try and trade Anthony Davis. But when you have a guy like Zion Williamson, you may as well go full bore into this rebuild. And if you can get another top four pick in this year's draft, along with additional ancillary assets and pieces, you got to do that, right? In my opinion. And with regards to their position, the Lakers position and where the Knicks are at, number three, do you think that the New Orleans Pelicans out of spite would still choose a New York Knicks package over a Lakers package? So a Knicks package would likely look like Number three, Kevin Knox, uh, Dennis Smith Jr., throw in Frank Nilakina, whatever. 
versus a Lakers package. What do you think the Lakers have to give up to even get the New Orleans Pelicans to eschew the Knicks package plus the spite factor? I mean, frankly, I think it shouldn't really take... I I feel like BI number four and like one other young asset is at least comparable to that. You know, like Kevin Knox didn't do any... I'm not saying he's not going to be good, but he like he did not look very good at times uh, during his rookie season. And he's shown a lot less than BI. The number three and number four pick is not that much of a difference in terms of trade value. I I would think, I mean, I, we were talking about how it seems like there's a clear top three, but it's still just one spot. Um, and it's not like you're getting a complete scrub at number four um, versus an all-star at number three. It's like, I would argue that outside of Zion, there's no like for sure future like perennial all-stars, but I, I don't think, it would be that hard for us to beat a Knicks package. I just, the Knicks really need to make that type of trade like way more than we do, in my opinion. Like if the Knicks are going to have a chance at getting Kevin Durant, I think they already have to have a like star like Anthony Davis or Kyrie Irving. I think going into free agency, they have to be like, we have him locked up in a trade already. Otherwise those guys are like, would not entertain um, going there in my opinion. So I I just feel like they're more desperate in that sense than we are. And I don't know. I mean, if, if we end up signing a max player and still trying to get Anthony Davis, nobody in the NBA can beat our offer because we would have to offer like everybody on our, on our team, which is like Lonzo, B.I., the pick, Josh Hart, and like Wagner. Like we would keep Kuzma somehow still in that scenario, which I guess is pretty amazing. But mm-hmm. um it's it's a weird question because of the timing of everything and free agency. You just don't know who's going to be willing to offer what at what time. Like if the Knicks come in hot and heavy because they know they need this for free agency and they come in with that full offer that you just gave and maybe even like not just number three and those two young guys, but like number three and maybe even another pick, like just to get him like locked up already we might not even have a chance to make a competitive offer in that scenario because in all scenarios, I think we're going to wait and see what happens in free agency first. Like we're probably not going to trade the pick for Anthony Davis before free agency. And there's a chance that by the time it gets to us, he's already gone. So from that angle, you almost want to think like there's a decent chance that we end up holding on to the pick as well. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. It's just there's so many things to all of a sudden calculate that I didn't anticipate necessarily. Um, Do you think that if Anthony Davis hasn't been traded yet by the time it gets to number four, which is insane to say, that the Lakers will... Obviously, they're going to draft for their own needs first, but is there a part of them you think that will try and gain some intel on who David Griffin wants at that number four spot to pair with I don't Zion so. Williamson. I mean, you don't just, think so? No, because it's so hard to get. Like, that type of information in particular just, like, cannot leak. You know, like, trade rumors can leak and silly, like, locker room drama can leak. But that type of information is, like, need to know, like, highly confidential. Like, nobody talks about that kind of stuff. Because it's there's so much posturing that happens early in the draft. And so I just... I don't think it's going to be possible. I don't think they would even consider that, like think about that because if you're taking the guy that you think is the best player available at number four, like the Pelicans are a rebuilding team. They, they need everything, 
you know, so whether it's a point guard or a guard or a small forward or a center, whoever you, if you think that guy is the best at number four, there's, you know, at some level, it's going to be like, okay, the Pelicans probably had them pretty high and it's all really just a crapshoot with a lot of these rookies. And sure. you have like a good history of scouting and, you know, you have a, that, you have that reputation behind you. Yeah, that's fair. So one thing to note with the Lakers jump is that at number 11, we were anticipating that whoever the Lakers picked, that rookie scale salary would be in the $3 million range, right? But because it's jumped into the top four right now, based off of Real GM's rookie salary scale for 2019-20, the number four pick is scheduled to make around $5.8 million. So let's just say that pick is going to take up $6 million in the Lakers cap. So with that being said, that's, you know, you have to account for that. Let's talk about other options the Lakers have. What about trading down? You, you mentioned this earlier, um, but another guy that a lot of Lakers fans are, gra- are gravitating towards and have coveted is Brandon Clark. Yep. Brandon Clark could be at that number eighth spot that the Hawks currently have. And the Hawks, due to the fact that they uh, traded down with the Mavericks to draft Trey Young, they gained the Mavericks uh, pick this year, right? At number 10. So the Hawks have number eight and number 10. So obviously the Lakers can trade number four for number eight and number 10. And for some people, I think maybe in prior drafts, eight and 10 for four may be a little too rich. But I think because this draft outside of Zion, the tiers drop significantly. The prospects from four to even 15 they don't really differ that much. So packaging eight and 10 to jump up even just four spots, maybe that seemed unlikely in the 2016 draft or 2017 draft. But I think because of how weak this draft is and because it's lacking in superstar talent, that's actually a, f- a feasible option, right? So no, I think it's let's say, more than feasible, yeah, but go ahead. Oh yeah, definitely. So let's say the Lakers want Clark and he's their number eight and they know that if they just give up the number four, they got their guy. And then on top of that, they all of a sudden have another asset in the number 10 pick, which which is one spot higher than where they would have picked anyways if they had just stayed there, which is incredible to think about. And then with the number 10 pick, you don't even necessarily have to draft that guy. Then all of the other trade scenarios come into play where if the Lakers still want a veteran presence to come in, and granted, they'll still have to take into account salary cap implications and they'll only be able to take back probably a $4 million player, but there are some role players out there who only make that much. The Lakers can trade the number 10 pick as well. So they could essentially draft Brandon Clark at number eight and then take the number 10 pick and scour the league to find a veteran player. And I haven't crunched the numbers yet, but a veteran player who makes around 3 to $4 million, the same amount as that pick, who could also help them immediately. So you get a two-for-one, essentially. You still have that young potential guy who can continue to bridge the gap between now and when LeBron leaves and also get a guy who can help LeBron now in terms of a role player with that number 10 pick. Or, like you mentioned, maybe we just get two additional young, young dudes. What are your thoughts on that scenario? I mean, the Brandon Clark thing, I've been high on Brandon Clark for a while, and so that is, like, super intriguing to me. I think Darius Garland at number four looks so impressive, but at the same time, he only played, like, five or six games or something this year at Vandy, so, like, there's not a lot of tape on him. Um, 
I would still be happy with that at four, right? But I there is a scenario where, you know, some RJ Barrett had a kind of up and down year and he's still really good and he was widely regard, regarded to be the uh, unanimous number one pick last year for a reason. If RJ Barrett slips, that is the kind of event that happens where like RJ Barrett slips to number four and like all of a sudden you get teams wanting to trade up. Like you saw what the Mavs paid to trade up for Luca last year. It ended up costing them basically like what did they trade up from? I forget what the trade was. It was this year's first round pick, the number 10 plus whatever they had. At the whatever time. they had last year, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's like teams do this. And if somebody like Barrett slips, that is like the type of thing that could, you know, give somebody the impetus to make a move. So Hawks having eight and 10 is, is very interesting for sure. But Brandon Clark should be there at number eight. And then number 10, like you said, it's just, it does never hurts you to have additional assets. And you can argue that the team, it's better for the team overall to have more depth. But I don't know. I don't necessarily know that they would trade down to get more young players because just because we have so many young players already, half our roster again is going to be like age 22 and under next season. So it's going to be pretty crazy, you know, pretty crazy. Um, And I just don't know that you want to introduce more young guys into that equation, but I don't know. Yeah, so let's say, yeah, they draft Brandon Clark with the number eight pick, and then with the number 10th pick, they try and see who's out there who's making, let's say, three to four million dollars who can help them immediately more than that number 10 pick can, right? And um, I brought this guy's name up before, but at this point, would you you then trade the number 10 pick for Karis LeVert? Um, yeah, 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 depending on who we sign and like how all the numbers work. But yeah, that would be a really good way to get somebody who could help immediately. But it's interesting that we keep bringing this up because Rob brought this up. He, he gave like some telephone brief telephone conference with some media members, I guess. Um, and uh, he brought up potentially trading the pick. Um, and he brought it up in the sense of like, he did say, like, but we're not definitely going to trade the pick. There are, you know, top five players who get drafted and who are able to contribute immediately. And so clearly this idea of contributing immediately is, like, on his mind. Um, so, you know, you trade down, yeah, you're getting additional young guys, but Brandon Clark is probably much more ready to contribute immediately than our best options at number four. That's that's very true. Um, I'm going to hedge or I'm going to leave this topic soon but I just I'm all of a sudden looking at these options if we get the 8 and 10 like I think it's going to actually happen but let's say we trade 4 for 8 we draft Brandon Clark at 8 with the number 10 pick at that point and again I don't know if any of these teams will do it but would you trade the number 10 pick for Landry Shamit I, I don't think the Clippers would do that but yeah I mean I don't know I don't know yeah this is <laughs> these hypos are too crazy for me yeah it's too crazy okay well in summary the Lakers have that option. They can either trade down, get additional assets, or let's say they stay at number four and they don't have Anthony Davis in their sights yet. What do you think about just trading the number four pick for, like I mentioned earlier, a rising star who's making around the same salary? Obviously, you do it for a guy like Donovan Mitchell. Uh, The Utah Jazz won't do that. Are there any other guys you can think of? What about Larry Markkinen? Or is the number four too rich for you? I think the number four is too rich for me. I mean, 
it's just like when you look at um, there are breakdowns and random articles that come out from time to time about like what your chances of getting an all star are at various pick positions. And if, if you have a top five pick, it's just like you're so much more likely to get an all star. And, and I just don't think like those types of assets can be used that lightly. Like Markinen seems fine, but he wasn't a top pick in his draft. But uh, he was a lotto pick, but not top five. And and you can make the argument that maybe in this draft he would be or whatever. But I just think there are enough good options that and number four is too valuable. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to find someone who could potentially you could just f- swap straight up. It, it'd probably be Donovan Mitchell, right? That's where you're kind of drawing the line. That caliber type of player where you'd say, yeah, I'm willing to give it up straight up. Yeah, for, yeah. At okay. that point, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I have one last weird hypothetical. <laughs> So let's say the Lakers trade number four to the Brooklyn Nets for Joe Harris and the number 17th pick. D'Angelo? <laughs> no, not D'Angelo, but uh, like a Joe Harris type. Joe Harris and number 17. Is that too much? Are we giving up too much there? No, I think we're giving up too much still. Like okay. if that if that, if that that type of pass, like Joe Harris is a fine player and like, yeah, he brains threes and that's very valuable in, in the modern NBA, but... What he does can be replaced, and again, at number four, you can you can get a potential all star. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so at this point, do you think that there's any other superstar that the Lakers will try and trade for outside of Anthony Davis, like a Bradley Beal, for example, or do you think at this juncture they really have to wait out free agency? I mean, they definitely have to wait out free agency. So that's the thing is, I don't think before i just think it's so unlikely that we have a trade that makes sense for us um you know by the time of the draft so i feel like we're gonna go into the draft unless it's a trade down for two picks but i just think we're gonna go into the draft expecting that the player we take is the player that we are gonna have on our team Mm -hmm. obviously anything can change but I just think that that's how we're going to go into it um, with that mindset. Because with free agency and all this cap space, the fact that there is a scenario that you can sign a, Ky- a Kawhi Leonard or a Kyrie Irving and keep all of these assets that we've described, like you can't ignore that. Um, yeah. And so you have to put yourself in a, uh, give yourself a chance to be in that position. And so for that reason, unless it's, like I said, unless we're getting just additional assets like draft picks i don't see us trading that for like another player and then taking us out of the free agency picture in like the biggest free agent class in recent memory so even for a guy like anthony davis let's say the new orleans pelicans say yeah we got to do it on draft day or else we're out there is a scenario like yeah we could get Kawhi, but then there's the scenario where you have to ask yourself like okay what if we just traded like bi and the number four pick and like josh hart or something like that for anthony davis we would still have some salary space left after a trade like that like yeah we're not getting a max player but we can get like guys on like value contracts on long-term contracts because nobody wants to give out three, four-year contracts to role players anymore. So if you're Mm -hmm. offering like 10 million a year for four years to a role player, you're going to get a good selection. And so like if we were doing, you know, something like that, is that better? Or is having Kawhi Leonard and all the young guys better? Um, You could make arguments both ways. And I think by the time of the draft, they will have considered those options because like I said, it would have to be something like, 
the Pelicans come to the table with a reasonable offer. And, you know, on top of that, we're fine. We think that Anthony Davis is so much better than any of the free agents we have a chance of signing that it's worth it for us to do the trade at that time. But it's just too many ifs, you know. Do you have a preference right now? Obviously, there's there's two different questions, right? Like, which way would you want to side with? And then what do you think the Lakers are going to do? Even though I know you just said that that second question is still too hard to decipher at this point. Honestly, and I, maybe it's just like I'm, I'm pretty conservative when it comes to this kind of stuff. But honestly, if they think, and they should know because it's like guys talk. You know what I mean? If you, like, stuff gets out for a reason and we're only seeing like a, a small you know, sliver of it, right? Like, guys talk, guys know what guys, other guys' intentions are. LeBron is friends with, like, everybody in the NBA, okay? And he's LeBron, so, like, if he calls you or, like, talks to somebody, you're going to talk to him, you know? And if they feel confident that they can get a max-level player, I'm always going to choose just, like, let's continue stockpiling assets and Mm -hmm. sign our max guy over anything else. Um, But, you know, that doesn't mean I'd be opposed to a trade because if they make a trade, that suggests to me that, okay, we didn't think we could sign a max, so we went for this, and that's fine too. It's a tough argument because Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis, so it's hard to, like, with a straight face, say, like, oh, well, but I would definitely take Anthony Davis over Kawhi. Well, it's like, I don't know. Like, if we have a chance at Kawhi, Kawhi is currently in the Eastern Conference Finals and Anthony Davis is at home. Like, I know it's more complicated than that, obviously, especially with this season, but Kawhi Leonard is a really, really freaking good player, too. (laughs) I'm not saying we're getting him, but I'm just saying, like, we have a chance at that caliber of player as well. No, definitely. And, you know, we've, we've touched upon this before, but even more so now, Palinka has just entered into more power, right? For better or for worse. Even more so now that he has a number four pick, he can make his imprint felt so much more by drafting that player, right? And seeing him bridge the gap from this LeBron era to post-LeBron. And if you're to believe what Ramon has been saying about them kind of shifting the focus more to the kids, that falls right in line with that. You know, where Palinka may see this as his, like, one shining moment of, you know, no holds barred, this is my pick. You know, Magic Johnson's out of the picture, number four pick, let's see what I can do. Obviously, getting Anthony Davison and making a super team with Kawhi, AD, and LeBron is a huge feat in and of itself of the Avengers endgame magnitude, but I can also see an argument where, yeah, this is, Perlinka really wants to make his mark with this pick, you know? And... Like we mentioned, the last time we thought that the Lakers were going to trade their pick at a very crucial moment when it was kind of, there was a sense of urgency around the team, they ended up drafting Andrew Bynum, right? So it's really hard to tell which way they're going to go. And I know Andrew Bynum was a Jim Buss pick, right? He was really proud of that. Yeah, and I mean, you could make the argument in any of the recent years that, you know, it made sense for us to trade the pick. I mean, I feel like every year we've talked about, well, potentially trading down or like, oh, well, potentially uh, uh, trading the uh, guy for, or the pick for an all-star if one becomes available so we can sign another all-star. And then we got LeBron. So it's like, oh, well now we're going to trade the pick for more help for him. But there's just so many factors. And the fact that this is going to be such a huge free agency class just shakes things up that more. So I, that much more, I should say. So, I just think that's why in all scenarios, to me, it makes sense to go into the draft expecting 
to just that we're just going to take best player available just because we're going to be waiting until uh until free agency yeah my best advice to fans would be study up on the top four study up on darius garland Jarrett culver get excited at those prospects at the prospects of ensuring yourself that you have brandon clark at the very least you know but also don't hold on too tightly to that prospect because we don't know when that guy could be shipped out at this point with the way things are going, with the way the front office has been handling things, I'm bracing for anything. You know, whether they wait, take a wait-and-see approach, whether they try and finagle an Anthony Davis trade on draft day and try and make a super team, I'm expecting anything and everything. I just hope that they... The, the one thing that I don't want them to do is do a, a panic-type number six pick for Gerald Wallace-type move that the Brooklyn Nets made you know, a couple years back when they essentially traded the pick that would inevitably become Damian Lillard for Gerald Wallace to help their super team out. Quote unquote super team, right? I don't think the Lakers are going to do that, obviously. Right. Um, but again, brace yourself for anything. So with that said, I'm going to take it to the break and then we're going to come back and do like a five minute segment and just talk about Coach Vogel because kind of buried the, I don't know, I don't even know if it's the lead anymore just because it's such good news to have the top four pick. Uh, we can just kind of skim over it really quick when we come back. So uh, take it to our sponsor, and then we'll catch you guys after the turn. All right, Tommy. So we have a coach. Uh, it's not Tyron Liu. It's actually his uh, assistant coach, or who we thought was going to be his assistant coach, Frank Vogel, who has stepped up to the plate and agreed to the Lakers' terms of three years, as well as taking on Jason Kidd. It's a conflicting time in Lakers fans' minds with regards to this coaching search because I think everybody, nobody would disagree that the process was a bit botched. But I guess the question I'll ask you first is, where do you think in this process the Lakers have gone wrong? Them just being radio silent and not controlling the narrative? Them just botching the entire process and overplaying their hand with Tyron Lue? Yeah, w w where have the Lakers gone, quote-unquote, wrong in, in your eyes with regards to their coaching search here? Uh, the way that they've managed, managed the uh, media, in my opinion, is, is just so... It's just been so laughable. Um, they've had so many opportunities to come out and just say, like, hey, this is how we're approaching things. Like, Rob preached so much about how we were going to have transparency, actually, because... Mitch and Jim were famous for, you know, not really letting anything leak. But the thing is, it's like they didn't let anything leak at all. It's like it was all quiet on the Lakers front at all times when Mitch and Jim were in power. And now it just feels like other people are using the media to run their narrative all over us and we're doing nothing to stop it. And I'm not necessarily saying that I care or like anybody should care. It's just like... It's so it's it can be frustrating as a fan from an optics perspective because when you're being pounded in the face with the same narratives, it's hard to not believe it. So we don't really know what happened with this whole coaching search, but all we know is one story is out about how it's gone, and it's not like if it if it didn't go down this way, I think they owe it to fans and everybody to just explain that. You know, and just say, like, well, this is the, mm -hmm. why we took this approach or whatever. But I don't know. The whole thing has been kind of a mess. I mean, ultimately, kind of like with the draft, I think we just kind of lucked into a position that 
we probably don't deserve. Like, not that Vogel is a world beater or anything, and I probably preferred Vogel, uh, Ty Lue over Vogel, at, at least at first. But Vogel is historically a great defensive coach. Um, his offense leaves a lot to be desired, but, you know, maybe he'll get some assistance to help out with that. Um, and it could have been so much worse for us. I mean, his assistant, Jason Kidd, that would have been so much worse, right? Like, so it just feels like we got kind of lucky given how we were playing this game um, with this whole search. And and so um, I guess in a way, like now that it's been a few days, maybe probably the pick, getting the top four pick helps. But like, I feel a little bit better about it just because given how so many other decisions have gone with this team, it just like, you know that the risk of it being worse was so high. Um, and so you kind of feel lucky that it, this is what we ended up with. Sure. So Frank Vogel, like we mentioned before, has done a really good job with the Indiana Pacers of grooming their young players into inevitable all-stars and stars. Uh, it didn't quite happen for Lance Stevenson, but even he had a career year under Frank Vogel. So that's encouraging at the very least. Um, his record with the Indiana Pacers, 2011-12 season, I think that was during the lockout year, right? He had a, a win percentage of 63%, 42 and 24. 2012-13, win percentage of 60%, 49 and 32. 2013-14, a win percentage of 68%, 56 and 26. Then he had a down year, 38 and 44 after that, but then bounced back at 45 and 37 in the 2015-16 season before getting fired. But what we know about Frank Vogel is he's he's a very defensive-minded coach. He's a, he's able to get his players to buy in, especially on the defensive end. And he's only one of two coaches who have led their teams to five straight top 10 finishes in defensive efficiency over the last decade. Who do you think is the other coach? Popovich. Yep. So it's Popovich and Vogel. These are the only two coaches in in the last yeah in the last decade to lead their teams to five straight top ten finishes in defensive efficiency. That's really impressive. No matter how you shake it, you know it's kind of standing the test of time at that point. Yeah, I, I mean Frank Vogel. In hindsight, that his teams were not as good as like we thought they were. Right? They they just performed so well. I mean, his Indiana Pacers team took. Like, I think that one of his teams was one of the ones that took Miami uh, with the super team to, like, the brink on Game 7, you know? And the only team, it felt like, during Miami's entire run that ever gave them a real uh, challenge. And he was, you know, the mastermind behind that defense. I mean, a lot of concepts he developed during that time were copied by teams around the league. So he is, like, a great defensive mind. And, and that's why I kind of feel like I, what I was saying earlier is that we kind of lucked into this. Like, it could have been so much worse, and we at least got a guy who is an expert defensively, and hopefully he can get some help with uh, other areas. Sure. And I think at this point, look, what's done is done. We look like an even bigger mess than we did when Magic Johnson stepped down by virtue of the fact that this happened after that event. Um, we kind of just got to throw the optics out the door. It's a mess. And until they actually sit down and grab the mic and start to control the narrative and give us a rationale for their decision-making process with regards to this whole search, we just got to throw out the fact that, yeah, they look terrible right now. It, it Optically, it seems like the Lakers picked their fifth best option. And in one respect, 
it could be argued that the Lakers just had very stringent stipulations with regards to this um, this gig. You know, they had it at three years, and they were really impressed by Jason Kidd, who interviewed for a head coaching position, not even an assistant head coaching position, and we'll get into this dynamic now. So, you know, taking on Frank Vogel, it almost seems like, yeah, they picked their fifth best option, and his assistant coach is now going to be a guy who they interviewed first for the head coaching position. Um, so we got to just, I guess, just throw optics out the window. Frank Vogel is now our coach. He's armed and strapped with assets and LeBron James, and we've just got to move forward from here. Now, with regards to Jason Kidd, why do you think the Lakers were so adamant about Frank Vogel or Tyron Lue taking Kidd on as their assistant head coach? Because Jason Kidd is not is far from a unicorn coach, obviously. It's even debatable whether or not his mentorship over Giannis and Brogdon and Chris Middleton carries any weight to it. Why have they held so tightly onto Jason Kidd? Do you think they're assessing the LeBron dynamic that they are sort of close and they want to at least, because they forced Lou to kind of walk out from the deal, at least give LeBron a homie, so to say? At the end of the day, why do you think they were so adamant about three years and also you got to take Jason Kidd on as an assistant coach? Is there some PTSD from the Luke Walton days of him picking his own assistant coaches? So my only explanation is kind of like what you, like really what you've said. But basically, I think the three years thing could be, ba- well, it's based on two things. I mean, everybody is tying it to LeBron, which I think is very fair and is probably the biggest uh the biggest reason why the three years thing uh, was so consistent among all these options. But I think a second reason that can't really be ignored is look, what coach would we hire given the type of team we're trying to build? What coach would we hire who we wouldn't fire after three years if we weren't like in the place we were trying to be, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's three years, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's three years and out. Right. It's just like, at some level, you have to think of the type of team we're trying to build. And we will know within two years if this, is, if this guy that we, uh, we choose is our guy. So maybe give yourself some flexibility to get out of a contract. I mean, going into it, technically one guy, I mean, two guys passed on us, right? Monty Williams, because he signed a five-year deal, and Ty Lue, who removed himself from the process because he wanted five years as well. But their plan worked in a way. And this is what I said, like lucking into it. There were like a lot of coach options out there that would have been a lot worse. And we got one of the better options available to agree to our weird three-year scheme. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, it, it worked in that sense, but I don't know. That's my best guess for why they went with the three-year contract. And then the Jason Kidd thing, I cannot tell you, dude. I mean, like... From what we've heard, it seems like this front office is so, so high on Lonzo Ball. And I don't know the exact reasons. Or I mean, I'm super high on him too. But I don't know if they're just as high on him for those reasons or what. Um, but they seem so invested in his future. And this just feels like a move on that end. But on the other hand, you want to say like, no, because... At any moment, they could theoretically trade Lonzo Ball. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, they don't know what options are going to come up, you know? And they didn't know what they were getting themselves into this summer. It just seems weird to commit to that if that's the only reason you're bringing them on. So I just don't really see anything 
else that Kidd brings to the table other than replacing Brian Shaw in that kind of like, I fill the gap between the new guys and you know, or the younger guys and the, uh, the veteran players. Cause I can relate to both type of thing. Sure. Yeah. I guess, are you worried about obviously the dynamic between how Frank Vogel and Jason Kidd got to their positions where it's almost like both were considered to be head coaches. Well, actually Frank Vogel was considered to be a potential assistant coach hire, got the head coaching gig we don't want to get into the specificities as to why with regards to Jason Kidd's background and history. But what do you think about the dynamic of Jason Kidd being a pseudo head coach and maybe them butting heads in the future? And do you feel, do you think that Vogel will ever be fully enabled and comfortable to take the helm of this team? Or do you feel like he'll always feel like he's, he has someone breathing down his back and could that affect how he coaches or for you is it a matter of hey if he can't handle that then he wasn't the right coach to begin with I think I'm more in the latter camp I mean I acknowledge the absurdity of this position because Jason Kidd is not in any way better than Vogel um but if we get to a point where it's even like being talked about like is it time to and I'm not talking about those early season like 20 games into the year hot takes but if we're even like a you know 50 games out and we're even having like given what we're expecting them to try to do with their, their cap space. And now this top four pick, if we're even talking about is, should we consider firing Frank Vogel? Something has probably gone really wrong, you know? So it's, I, he signed, I mean, Vogel signed up for this knowing what he was getting himself into and he was still happy to take the opportunity. And I just don't think that, you know, he he should he can really be worrying about that because he would have to be doing such a bad job that he would be fired in any circumstance, whether kid was an assistant or not, for us yeah. to make that kind of move. You know, like it's not gonna be the case that we're after fifty games, like thirty and twenty, and it's like, well, time to fire him and put kid in charge. Like that's not gonna happen. Right. With regards to how this looks optically with the Lakers, um, just being so hell-bent on this kid thing, which, you know, you just mentioned you have no idea why. My question to you, and I don't really necessarily want to go the morality angle, but what happened to the Lakers' talk of culture building and finding the right mentors for the young guys? I know they've been harping on this Lonzo Ball kid dynamic, but for me, given what has happened the last year and the mess that, that has occurred and leaked to the public about how dysfunctional things are up top and all the backstabbing that goes on behind the scenes, yada, yada. And just what an objective mess things have been in the front office. My question is, why would the Lakers even think about playing with fire? Because in a certain sense, taking on a Jason kid almost feels like what they did in free agency where they started signing these renegade dudes with volatile histories like Rajon Rondo and Michael Beasley and Lance Stevenson, where in the best case scenario, yes, they can work out, but why why even test that? Or why play with fire? And for the Lakers, why play with fire after the season that you just had where you were proven wrong about all of those guys? And the best case scenario didn't end up happening. I'm not even sure that the worst case scenario happened and it still imploded in their face. So 
do you have a, a rationale as to why they're choosing to even risk this with regards to if they're really thinking about the young guys, what, what about the volatility that could rear its ugly head from the coaching staff by bringing a guy like Kid on? And I'm not even just talking about his power plays in the past, but optically to the public sense, you know, his history, his, you know, domestic abuse history and all that stuff. Wouldn't you want to pick a guy who's just copacetic and just just pick another Mark Madsen who's smarter? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I think there's two things. I think number one is they weren't necessarily proven wrong by what they did, right? Like all those wacko personalities they signed ended up being like among our best players and were not at least, even if even if you would argue that they were not among our best players, you couldn't argue that like any of them were a cause for distraction during the season, except for potentially Beasley, who was traded. You know, so out of six of these wackos or whatever that we signed, like one ended up having issues this season. The others had, in some cases, career years. You know, so it and and were like very positive by all accounts to be around, and you know the kids liked being around them. So. I think it, you could argue that that's support for them. I think the second thing is, I don't know that kid, it's like the media will make kid an explosive issue just because it's like there have been so many strong rumors linking him. But Jason Kidd is a former head coach, and there's not a lot of former head coaches out there that would be willing to be an assistant. The LeBron thing that you said could very de- uh, easily have been a factor in their minds, like wanting to make sure there was a guy there that LeBron trusted, wanting to make sure there was a guy that, you know, could be a player development influence just because he's had, he's worked with young teams. Uh, he worked with the Bucks, and he plays the way that like Lonzo is trying to play and, or played the way I should say. And, so there's that angle. There's just like a few angles that you could argue that he works on. And I don't know that I, I like, again, I know the media is going to make it into a controversial choice. And for me, if he was head coach, that would be a controversial choice, but not because of his past or anything like that. It's just because he sucks as a coach, <laughs> you know, like, I just feel like that should be the thing that most people should be focusing on is like, well, he sucked as a coach, but like now he's an assistant. So, you know, there have been guys who are widely regarded to be fantastic, phenomenal assistants who could not cut it as a coach. And Kidd went straight from playing NBA basketball to, like, one week later being the coach of the Nets. You know, so he never was an assistant. We don't know if he could be good or not. I don't know. You know, it's like it, there's a lot less pressure on him day to day to control every he, aspect. But he, I'm not – and again, I'm not trying to defend him. I'm just saying that, like, we don't know. So let's just see. He's actually admitted that he felt like he was thrust into everything too young as a head coach. So he has that self-awareness going for him. So I have a positive, and it's going to be a bit of a stretch, super stretchy stretch. But you know in the ways when we when we brought on Rajon Rondo and some people thought that it was a positive that he could always light a fire under Lonzo Ball's ass? In a way, that dynamic kind of exists with Frank Vogel, right? And we mentioned it earlier where... If he's not cut out for it, then we'll know that he's not the best coach. But in the same sort of vein, if he knows that Jason Kidd is always right behind him, he's probably always going to be putting his best foot forward, right? He has that uh, built-in motivation to think about. Because he didn't pick his assistant coaching staff, there's this guy that in his head, he's probably also thinking, oh, the front office really likes him to have pushed him onto me. 
So I have to always be in tip-top shape. I have to be on my A game at all times. So from that end, if it pushes Frank Vogel to always have his best foot forward, that could be a positive thing. And I hope that even if LeBron James has these side spatterings, or not side spatterings, but these side conversations with Jason Kidd on the sideline, and it looks like he's maybe diminishing Frank Vogel's authority by doing that, I'm hoping that at the very least, LeBron, Vogel, and Kidd have the same dynamic that occurred in Miami with Joan Howard, LeBron James, and Eric Spolstra. Now, I'm not saying that Frank Vogel is as good as Eric Spolstra or can be as good as Eric Spolstra, but I'm hoping that they can all work in concert together the way that that trio worked because Juwan Howard was essentially LeBron James' boy, right? And it's been shown time and time again that LeBron James is more receptive to assistant coaches or head coaches who have played the game of basketball before, right? Tyron Lue, Juwan Howard. In this instance, it's going to be Jason Kidd. But I'm hoping that it's that when LeBron James is whispering sweet nothings into Jason Kidd's ear on the sideline, that that is not a death knell to Frank Vogel. That it's just because he has a bond with Jason Kidd, but also he respects his coach, and hopefully this is also bringing out the best in Frank Vogel as a head coach. What do you think about that angle? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I see it. Um, and I think it really does a good job also of highlighting why. <laughs> I've said this like eight times, but we really got, we lucked into this. Because when you started listing off all those things that Vogel has to deal with this season, it's so true. Like, he's going to come in with another former head coach on his staff. He only has a three-year deal. So I mean, they haven't released the details as far as I know, but some reports I saw said that the third year is a team option even. Um, mm-hmm. to really merit LeBron. Um, but uh, there's just, there is going to be all that pressure. I don't, Vogel's a professional and he's trying to seek gainful employment in the NBA. So I don't know that he needs like that to really have a fire lit under him, but um, it's going to be interesting to see how everybody is hopefully able to put their egos and everything aside and make this all work. I mean, there was a tweet from Woj or, maybe one of the Yahoo guys um, after we signed Vogel and it was announced, or not after, after it was announced that we got, we're getting Vogel and also kid was coming. There was some tweet that I feel like a lot of people didn't really talk about, but it came out and it said something to the effect of similar to like what Phil Jackson used to do uh, in that similar vein. It's not going to be a hierarchy of assistance. They're just going to try to see if they can get a bunch of, really high quality assistance and everybody is like, you know, like an all-star coaching staff. So they could use that as like a free agent recruiting tool type of thing. Like there's going to be like four NBA head coach caliber coaches on this bench. You know what I mean? So I don't know. We'll see if they're able to do it, but it, 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 it is weird. Kid, kid is yeah. so weird. <laughs> hey, but at the end of the day, I'm going to give Vogel some credit for, taking on this challenge because it is a challenge. He has a lot of things working against him. He's kind of handcuffed in a way. If there's an analogy out there to use, it's almost like he's under house arrest. He's got that anklet on and he just has to do his best job with what he's given. And I give him credit for deciding to step into that challenge because iron sharpens iron, whatever else uh, idiom you want to use. Uh, With that said, the Lakers have the top four pick. They're going to get another kid in. They're kidnapped currently at the coaching position. Kid, 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 whatever. I I don't even know how to end this show. But 
I'm going to say I feel a lot more positive and a lot more lit and happy than I was going into today with regards to even just talking about the coaching candidacy and the process that occurred. But again, the Lakers have a monumentous opportunity in front of them to just do good. I just hope that from here on out, they do the obvious objective positive smart thing because they have been gifted with an enormous weapon and opportunity to flip things on a dime and change the entire course of these next three years for LeBron James and let's hope that it does not follow suit with whatever the hell has been happening just the last month. Uh, So with that said, thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. Talk more about the Vogel kid dynamic. Talk more about options with the number four pick. Uh, where to go from there. And obviously, Draft Combine, Vogel is going to be introduced next Monday. We're going to hear for the first time from Rob Palenka. There is so much going on. Thank you guys for listening. Follow us on Twitter, at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate interview us on iTunes, patreon.com slash the Lakers Legacy Podcast. Tommy, is it lit once again? It's lit? It's lit. You heard it from Tommy's croaky-ass voice. He's going to now go and sip some lemon honey tea all right i'll catch you later dude feel better later peace When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.